digital fundraising in this new reality. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich from the Fundraising School, and this is the first day from the Fundraising School, recorded, as you might expect, on Zoom, our new reality here during the pandemic crisis. And I'm joined today by Nathan Hand. Nathan is an accomplished fundraiser for a leading educational organization in central Indiana, and he brings that frontline ex expertise into our classroom and online as he teaches for the Fundraising School. And we're here today to talk about digital fundraising. And Nathan, first of all, thanks for being with us. And I hope you're healthy and safe and that all is well for you uh, as we're waiting out this virus crisis. Yes, all is well here and same to you. And it's an honor to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much. And obviously digital fundraising has been a thing for the better part of the last decade, but how do fundraisers need to adapt online now that we're sheltering in place or having just very limited access to the outside world during this virus crisis? Sure, I think it's um, highly important for folks to remember um, to continue to practice relationship-based fundraising. So before all this, um, you may have sent notes, you may have engaged folks, given tours, gone to coffee, um, just like you're trying to hopefully engage with your own family over distance, right? And, and other kind of friends and loved ones, you should be using these technologies to engage in relationship-based fundraising with your donors. I'd, I'd suggest, if you haven't already, reaching out to your you know, top 20, 30, 50, or even 100 kind of major supporters and setting a time for a Zoom call. We did that and in the first few weeks, uh, had about 50 conversations with folks, and it wasn't to ask for support specifically. It was more just a touch base. We are in relationship with them. We care about who they are, how they're doing, and want to ask those questions. And they uh, were very responsive and wanted to know the same about us and, uh, and how our organization is doing, what we're working on, what we're thinking about. Uh, and, and those conversations um, just went really well and kind of set the stage that we're going to continue doing the work and they're going to continue engaging with us. Uh, and again, we didn't come out of that with nor raising money for something specific, but that was a that was a stewardship opportunity to stay in touch with um, folks that really care about our cause. Nathan, did you need to do any coaching in terms of the online format? Some of us were more familiar, others less familiar. I know I've had a learning curve uh, for these online meetings. Did you need to coach your donors? Were they already familiar with how to use the online formats? What did that look like for you? Sure. So, so for some of them, yes. And, and for some of them, we were their first uh, Zoom call ever. And um, we were happy to kind of walk them through how that might work. And it was uh, entertaining and, and also a good way to support them. Uh, for many of them, I essentially said, have you, have you done one before? If not, here's the link. And have your cell phone handy if for some reason it you know, doesn't work out. And we'll just give you a buzz instead. Uh, but most of them were very grateful for the opportunity to, to test it out. And then, of course, they told their friends that they had done their first Zoom call and it was with us. And it was more and more reason they loved <laughs> the organization and the relationship. How would you describe the reaction when you first reach out to donors? Were they hesitant to meet with you online? Were they glad to hear from you? How, how would you describe that overall? I would say, uh, as, as is somewhat typical, um, I was nervous that they may not be interested, able, have the time, maybe preoccupied. And thankfully, I was proven horribly wrong. They were all, almost all very interested, excited to hear from us, um, very willing to work through the technology, uh, and really had kind of good and insightful questions uh, about kind of what was going on, how the organization was doing, how our kind of families were doing, both the organization and personally. Again, when we're in relationship with folks, uh, they want to know those things. And it, it also allowed 
for some conversations from folks that are normally a little harder to get a hold of, right? They're home too, and they've got time, and they are seeking human interaction. So uh, it worked out really well. You know, that is a great point. It can be so difficult to establish a face-to-face meeting uh, with our donors back in the day as we were meeting in person. Uh, It sounds like perhaps donors maybe have a little bit more flexibility to meet with us. Has that been your experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. There were yeah several that are normally uh, a little hard to schedule. They're running businesses, et cetera, and um, they, they were wide open because of the types. And so that, uh, that was a nice surprise. Nathan, you know, you've been associated with the fundraising school for such a long time. We go back to 1974. Dr. Rosso, our founder, has always taught that meeting in person is the best way to cultivate the relationship with a prospective donor make the philanthropic request, currently, you know, steward the relationship with the donor after gifts have been made. Uh, It sounds like even though we're moving primarily to digital, it's not to say we don't have a donor who might allow us to meet within six feet of them in a lawn chair out at a park or something like that. Maybe that's still possible. Uh, But as we're moving more and more into these online formats, that it's not so much that we're redefining fundraising and fundraising techniques, but that we're redefining the meaning of the term in person, because now this means in person. Yeah, I think it, it kind of emphasizes to me uh, not to be stressed about your words, but to still watch for kind of nonverbal cues, those things we, we, we teach at the fundraising school courses, right, um, around kind of interacting with folks and being able to tell um, if they're really picking up what you're talking about or if they're distracted or those sorts of things um, and, and using your words to help clarify, right? And, and often if you've ever, you know, asked for a gift, um, if you had to do it kind of over the phone or in a letter or something because proximity was a problem before or health or for other reasons, you just plain couldn't be in person. I always and would encourage folks to, to, to tell people that you would rather be doing this in person, right? It shows them that you do respect that process and their time. Um, but at the same time, this is our new uh, reality. And um, everyone, I think, will understand that. You know, that's a great point. You know, we talk about uh, the emotional intelligence that fundraisers need to watch, to read between the lines of what's being said. We're not just listening for content, but observing the donor as well. And, you know, those are us who are fully able to have two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. We need to be observing and listening to our donors 80% of the time. Uh, and then, you know, kind of reflective response discussion. You know, hey, if I understand you correctly, you're saying A, B, and C, you know, before you move on to your response or, or your reaction. Uh, it seems like those skills need to be sharpened in this online format. I'm here watching you now, and I can watch for some verbal cues and some body language, but it's not exactly the same. Have you noticed that as you're fundraising with your donors? Yes. I mean, you can tell pretty quickly if folks are really dialed into you, right? Or if there's other things, noises, distractions in the background, kind of where they are, uh, right? It's um, That gives you kind of clues into kind of um, how personal to get, right? And, 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 and maybe if they're really ready um, to receive a request or not. Uh, and I would say, you know, depending on um, where your organization is in these times and the needs, um, many of the things still the same things apply, right? Meaning if you have not been in touch with that person for a a while, um, a Zoom call out of the blue, making a large request is probably not the right move, right? It's probably better to touch base and re-engage and kind of see how they're doing and ask about their other philanthropic portfolio and um, how they're thinking about their other organizations. And um, I find that I think a lot of our 
kind of fundraising community finds it interesting how people navigate their philanthropy when environments change. And so that's a great conversation to have. Not only is it enlightening and interesting, um, but it helps you understand kind of where your organization sits on their radar. Um, if they're moving, they're giving to mostly food and shelter, right? Or if they're really worried about the arts community right now, um, those are important things to know. If it's, if it's truly about making donors feel comfortable and inviting an investment, right? Then you can have that kind of open, candid, personal conversation. You can do that over these mediums. And we've been talking about this face-to-face, that we're not redefining fundraising and fundraising techniques. We're actually redefining what in-person means. Uh, But then also, Nathan, what about the other platforms? Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, things fundraisers have been using. Have you adapted at all in those formats, or are you hearing anything out in the field on how fundraisers are now using those vehicles in this new reality? Yeah, so I don't know about everybody else, but the, my email traffic like quadrupled in the matter of a week because everybody realized that was very quickly the place people were and the best way to communicate. And um, right, and so while that's true, then you've got to be really good at email marketing now because there's even more clutter. You've got to be really good at social media marketing now because there's even more people posting and things like that. So really dying, dialing into that. I've seen a lot of organizations already ramp up their kind of horsepower and, and, and hire some additional help because they know that's going to be how their message comes out. Specifically for raising money online, uh, you, you probably already know there's a, there's a boatload of kind of softwares that will offer themselves up and it's a thermometer and it's peer-to-peer functionality and uh, doing good research on those and picking the one that's right for your project is crucial. Uh, we just uh, did a project and it was important to us to be able to, if we met that goal really early and we felt comfortable, we would, we would raise that goal if we were doing something in a finite amount of time, right? Or the ability to integrate with social media, the ability to make sure that whichever software you choose, you're going to receive people's information, right? It's one thing to raise your money. And if it's a check that comes from one third party entity and you have no idea maybe you see there's 57 donors but you don't know who they were that's going to make stewardship really really hard (laughs) so asking those kind of questions ahead of time of of any platform you use uh, is important you know nathan that's another example of uh, a foundational teaching of fundraising from the fundraising school that simply is being adapted into this new reality and that is as you know we've always taught the number one most important tool you have is your case statement Your case statement specifically, precisely talks about who you are and why, what you're doing, what your results are, and why the donor should care. And your case statement always demonstrates why your nonprofit is unique, why your nonprofit is distinct. Then you're able to bring in data, you're able to bring in research. Certainly you're able to bring in stories, life change stories, community change stories that your nonprofit is engaged with. Uh, And so we've always had the importance of the case statement for fundraising. And it sounds like now that we're primarily in this digital world, when you said we need to stand out in these platforms, because now there's just this tsunami of information in the digital world, our case statement becomes our friend in a whole new way, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I, I, I think it needs also a quick review, right? Because it's all about relevance today also. And so and the question is, look at your case statement. And naturally, does your work rise uh, to an, an important and urgent level in these times? Or if you're not a, directly affected, right, uh, or things haven't changed a lot, um, 
you, you may want to kind of revise some of your case statement to make sure people understand why you are either still important or more important than ever or those, those sorts of things. Um, because as people are flooded with information and flooded with needs, food, housing, healthcare worker support, teacher appreciation week, whatever it is, you've got to make sure that your case statement is still strong and lasting but relevant today so that people still include it in their thinking and in their conversation now, as opposed to kind of punting their interest in your efforts for a year or more till things get back to normal. And remember those same techniques uh, from the past still apply today. When people go online on those platforms, they want to see pictures, they want to see videos, they want less, not more. They don't want a lot of long text. Uh, and if you're going to direct them anywhere, take them to your website, keep them in your organization, uh, as best as you can. Nathan, last thing I want to raise, and we, we have a separate podcast on this topic of online special events, but while we have this good fortune to speak with you in this podcast, what are you seeing, what are you hearing as people are trying to take their special events uh, into this online reality? Sure. So I know a lot of folks that are especially event-driven um, fundraising shops um, are nervous, right? Um, because um, depending on where you live and where you are, uh, you may be mandated to stay away from groups and things like that. I've already seen a lot of organizations get very creative very quickly um, with black tie kind of Zoom event fundraisers um, with some have uh, been engaging sponsors for the Zoom background and logos and things like that to make it creative. Zoom allows you to create kind of VIP side rooms and so you can have your VIP kind of mixer before the big event, right? Uh, you can do things and get creative with that technology. Uh, arts organizations that are having performances, uh, right, and kind of blocking them out with sponsors for, you know, this half hour and this thing, because people still want and need to entertain, be entertained, right, um, and engage in the arts community. Uh, there's, uh, people are doing uh, virtual tours of their virtual work, <laughs> right? Because you you still you want to show and, and show people that you still are doing that work. You still have value to the community and giving them a glimpse, just like you might walk them through a facility, walk them through what the service looks like today, right? You can still do those virtual tours. Um, it does take work. It takes creativity to kind of make the most of it. Um, but I think you'll find it's possible, and I know your donor community is going to be interested. And I think we've heard a story, didn't, uh, was it an arts organization where they sent everybody a bottle of wine or, or something like that so they could all have their beverage together in their virtual special event? Yeah, so I've seen uh, some organizations do this, a few different types of organizations and some political candidates will say, hey, let's do the, let's do the wine tasting fundraiser and here's this ticket and you've got to buy it a couple weeks in advance because we're going to send you a couple bottles to your doorstep um, and then throw on your black tie and get your, your glass out and we're going to sit on Zoom and have a wine tasting. And um, it sounds a little goofy, right? But I think, I mean, people are yearning for human interaction for human connection for something different uh, and you can you can provide that for folks and it'll go a long way the very first podcast we recorded when the shelter in place orders were issued across the united states and across the world uh, involved dr tim seiler our mentor my predecessor uh, at the fundraising school who said you know philanthropy is about hope we believe we can make the world a better place uh, that is a positive message, and people need that hope and need that positivity now more than ever. 
And we can do that in this online environment. We can do that through these uh, Zoom and Microsoft Teams and Skype type meetings. We can do that through our social media platforms and even be creative with our special events. And uh, this is the approach that we're taking with the fundraising school now. We've heard many different requests from many different types of organizations on the needs that you have now. So we have created a, a wide range of resources that we're calling TFRS at our desk, TFRS for the fundraising school, TFRS at your desk. Uh, and we have these podcasts that are tailored for the moment. We have Fridays with the Fundraising School, an online conversation once a month uh, where you're able to talk with folks like Nathan and other fundraisers to ask your questions, share your ideas, worry, vent, as we all just get together around the country and around the world. Hey, we have a new summer learning institute called Current Affairs Fundraising Series. We have five half-day courses. They are virtual in a synchronous, meaning we're all live together. Uh, format and these are topics that are aligned to fundraising today and tomorrow in this new reality. Uh, as for our public courses, uh, they're available online in an asynchronous format. Uh, as we record this in late spring 2020, uh, we are available to offer those courses in person in Indianapolis starting in late August. Uh, and then of course, stay tuned as the situation changes from one day to the next. And the rest of our courses are available uh, online. And then we also have um, the uh, special scholarships for this time, the crisis response scholarships up to 50% off. Uh, to take our courses. So all of these resources are still available for you. The Fundraising School takes great pride in being your career-long colleague now more than ever. Information is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the Fundraising School. With Nathan Hand, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the Fundraising School. Mm -hmm.